1: Welcome to another episode of the Stranded Podcast. You guys don't understand how excited I am about today's guest. And one reason is because I am obsessed with the idea of fluent public speaking and amazing, amazing public speakers. And another reason is because when I first started this podcasting dream journey in two thousand, the beginning of this year in two thousand eighteen, uh, my boyfriend paid for me to go to Podfest two thousand and eighteen. And I came in as a complete stranger, confused and wanting to run and hide until I attended a session with the amazing Carol Cox, who is my guest today. Welcome. Well, thank you so
0: much, Jessica. It is a pleasure to be here. And I'm so glad that, especially as a newbie, that you enjoyed the session and that you got out of it. And then here you are now. You've launched your podcast and you're, what, six plus months into it? Congratulations. Yes.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And what I loved so much about your session was that it was great for podcasters. It was all about the art of storytelling. But I was like, this message can go for anyone, any motivational speaker, anyone presenting at work. I mean, it was a powerful message that could be used in any medium.
0: Yes, absolutely. And and right, because what I, what I do in my work, my company's called Speaking Your Brand. And so I help... Primarily women, entrepreneurs and professionals create their presentations. So whether it's a keynote presentation that they've been asked to get at a conference or they want to do a breakout session at a conference, much like I did a podcast that you saw, or they want to do a business presentation at a networking group or they want to do a TEDx talk even. So I help them create the content for that. And to your point, the content that you can use for the story structure is not just for presentations. It actually can be used for blog posts video series that you put on youtube facebook live videos email sequences it's all basically it's like how can you pull your audience in and keep them engaged
1: yes because email sequences are whoa i have been learning a lot about that lately and storytelling is a must absolutely wow so speaking of speaking your brand um because clearly you're phenomenal at it the first time i saw you speak i was just amazed You are a complete natural, Um, you know, you can just tell when people are nervous or, but you came off as just so natural. What do you think? Why do you think some of the reasons are that people, I mean, I, I know majority of my friends would say this is the top, top three scariest thing is public speaking. Why do you think people are so scared of it?
0: Yeah, Jessica, this is a great question, and I think there's a couple of different reasons. So I'm going to start kind of like at the superficial reasons, not superficial meaning unimportant, but kind of surface level, and then I'm going to go a little deeper. So the surface level reasons I think most people have the sphere of public speaking is because probably when they were younger in school, maybe middle school or high school, they had to do that dreaded presentation in front of the class. And when you're a tween or a teen, the last thing that you want to do for most of us <laughs> is get in front of your peers and have to do a presentation. Now, of course, there's a few, uh, you know, people maybe like me who I was in the speech and debate team. So I enjoy doing <laughs> it. But still, like you feel you feel kind of intimidated, you don't want to uh, be embarrassed yourself because come on, teenagers are not necessarily the nicest when someone makes a mistake. And so maybe there's something in there that happened to someone and they just don't feel that comfortable doing it. So that's kind of like the surface level reason. So maybe dig back into your childhood and see if you can find something there. But the deeper reason that I think that people have this fear of public speaking is that when you're standing in front of a group of people, whether you're standing on a stage with 500 people in the audience or you're standing just in a classroom in front of 30 or 50 people, is that you feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You're there by yourself. There's no one next to you because you're the speaker. You're up front. and In our primitive minds, we feel unsafe because As homo sapiens, we've only been in our current culture, our current civilization for a relatively short amount of time. 10, 20,000 years ago, and our brains are so wired the same, if we were standing by ourselves alone with no one around us in a space that was open, most likely we could be attacked by a predator like a tiger could come running at us. Mm -hmm. So in our primitive brains, the last thing we want to do is to be standing alone in an open space Without any protection. So I think that. So like there's so much subconscious stuff going on. But really it's the feeling really comfortable and confident with your material. With what you're sharing. And then the more you do it. The more you actually get up and do it and practice it in front of people. Not just practicing it at home or in your office, which you should do, but practicing it in front of real people is when those, that's when the fear is going to start to subside. And I'm sure Jessica, since you said you enjoy doing public speaking, you probably found the same thing that the more you do it, the easier it gets.
1: Yes. Um, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but I, after I met you at in the storytelling session, I did score a TEDx in April and in practicing that I used that storytelling model, but I practiced That speech, four hours a day for like 32 days.
0: Yeah, I'm not (laughs) surprised because TEDx is such a unique medium. You basically have to memorize a script because it's such a short amount of time that, yeah. And and I I have clients who have done the same thing. They've walked up and down the beach
1: (laughs) and practiced their talk for days. You got one shot to get a 12-minute speech and not screw it up.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome, Jess. I mean, to do a TEDx talk is a lot of people's dreams, so congratulations on doing that.
1: Thank you. I'm, I am swear this manifestation thing is real. Everything that I put into play this year happened, um, and I think it's just because I believed it, and I saw the vision, and it was clear, and so I I've always loved studying the art of storytelling and speaking, and so... That's why I was so, so excited to have you on because I've seen what you've done for some brands and I've seen the way that you explain the art of storytelling and I'm just like, wow, that's that's really behind the scenes of how to keep your audience engaged. And I know so many people right now that I even have clients that want to do motivational speaking, want to start YouTube channels, and they're scared to speak in front of an audience. And so I guess I was, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, What would your advice be to somebody that has the vision that wants to be a motivational speaker or wants to speak in public but is actually scared, is nervous of standing in front of an audience like that?
0: So you have to just bite the bullet and do it. and. I'll give you I'll give you a story as an example. Yeah, I listened to the, the Tim Ferriss <laughs> podcast. You know, Tim Ferriss is is very well known, and he lo- he loves learning. He loves trying new things, so I, I I like listening to his podcast. A couple years ago, he had as his guest on the show a stand up comedian and actress. Her name is Whitney Cummings. So she's a so she's a comedian. So she gets up, you know, does stand up comedy, which to me is much more nerve wracking than going up and giving a speech because comedy, you have to make people laugh, right? Yeah, That's so much pressure, like, Either right? The people are laughing or not. It's very easy to tell right. if you're doing well. So he asked her on the podcast, he said, okay, Whitney, imagine that I wanted to do stand up comedy. And in 30 days from now, I want to go do a set a, a, and, and get a really good reaction from the audience from it. How do you suggest that I start? And he said something to her like, you know, are there books that I should read or should I, you know, start writing? Like, what should I do? And he was totally shocked by what she told him to do. She said, Tim, starting today, I want you to go to your local comedy club, open mic night, and I want you to get up there and I want you to tell some jokes, you know, five minutes, however long they give you. And I want you to do that every single night for the next 30 days. I don't want you sitting in your room and reading books. And writing jokes, I want you out there doing it every day for the next 30 days. And he was floored because that's not what he expected. So here's what I'll tell the listeners. Wow. You don't have to go do stand comedy every day for the next 30 days. But what I would recommend is join your local Toastmasters group. Most oh, yes. cities have lots of different Toastmasters chapters that meet on different days and different times of day they're going to force you, for lack of a better word, to get up and start talking in front of people. It's going to be intimidating. It's going to be nerve wracking, but it's the best way to get over that. And uh, in addition to Toastmasters, you can also check out improv comedy groups. So they have, you know, improv training for amateurs. And that's another great way to kind of get over your self-consciousness.
1: That was such good advice because I've heard so many public speakers say that they've done improv for comedy. Because it's just yes. like a way to let your guard down almost. Yes. And you
0: learn how to, to go with the flow and you learn how to feed off the energy of the audience and you learn how to, to keep going when things go wrong. So sometimes you'll show up for a presentation and halfway through the lights go out or the projector in your laptop stop working and there's no more slides or your mic cuts out. So how do you handle that? And what do you do? And doing something like improv is a great way to learn those techniques.
1: Oh, my God. That's so true. I just did a present, my, um, my full-time job, I work for, I'm a director for a national nonprofit, and I do all of the, um, the, basically the engagement stuff, the liaison for partnerships, so I'm the person that does all the presentations, and I was doing a presentation a week ago, and the PowerPoint slides went out. And, yes, and <laughs> it will happen, was just, it will
0: happen at some point.
1: <laughs> I felt like I was in that, uh, like the cartoon movie Ice Age, where you just see a bunch of blinking eyes. Everybody, everybody was just blinking and like there were crickets and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to improv this thing. Like you got to be able to jump on your feet and go.
0: Yes, exactly. So I always, I have a little cheat sheet that I bring with me. So I'll print out a one page outline of my presentation kind of the equivalent of what would be on the slides, just so I have a piece of paper, you know, very low tech with me, just in case the slides go out, or if I don't want to turn my back and look at the slides,
1: at least I have that with me. Oh, that's smart. See, that's over-prepared. I'm always (laughs) (laughs) under-prepared. But I I also love what you said, because I just heard a quote the other day from Marie Forleo, and I was like, yes. She said, everyone's searching for clarity, but clarity comes from engagement, not thinking.
0: Oh, love that. So, so true.
1: true. And I was like, that's exactly what you're saying right now. It's like, sometimes you can't find it in a book. Sometimes it's not in a master's degree. Sometimes you just have to go do it and, and do it and do it and do it again.
0: Right, exactly. Put the put the hours in, put the time in, because that's how you're going to figure out what you need to improve. And then that's how you're going to improve it.
1: Exactly. I, I've told my um, audience this story over and over, but I had the idea of starting a podcast for months. I bought the equipment and then I let it sit there. And one night, my boyfriend was finally like, Are you going to record a podcast? You need to go in there and do it. And I was like, No, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Nobody's going to listen to me. And he was like, You and your friend go in there and record an episode. And I think we might have, we must have talked about the dumbest stuff. I listened to it the next day and I was like, Oh my God, I would never let anyone hear this. But instead of walking away from it, I went to sleep the next night thinking, okay, I see what I did wrong. I know what I could do better. Like, next time I do this, I'm going to do it this way. I would have never started if I had waited for that type of clarity.
0: Yes. And as podcasters, Jess, you know this, that our first set of episodes, the first three episodes, 10 episodes, however many, we know they are not as good as episode number 20, episode number 50. I'm up to episode number 82 now of my podcast. And the last... 30 episodes by far are so much better than the first 30.
1: Yes, everyone I talk to will be like, "Oh, your episodes get better and better." And I'm like, "That's cuz I get I learn more and more." Like the first, the first couple episodes are terrible. <laughs> so, so thinking about cuz I'm just I love learning from you about this stuff. What do you think some of the biggest mistakes are that people make when they're giving a speech in front of an audience or trying to engage their audience? What really turns people away?
0: Yeah, so there's a few different things. I actually did a a podcast episode just exactly on this topic. It's called Five Mistakes You're Making in Your Presentations That Turn Off Your Audiences. It's episode number 63. So that's a really good one, but I'll give you a couple of them of the five. So the first one is the what's in it for me. Your audience wants to know what's in it for them. How does your content relate to what it is that they want. What is their goal when they come to sit down in that presentation? Whether you're giving a conference session or you're giving a presentation at work, whoever your audience is, what is it that they want? It's not a matter of you as the speaker, what you want, even you want for your business or for your at your workplace, but what's their goal? And then frame your content in your presentation to directly help them achieve that goal. Hmm. And so that was okay. So that's one mistake is is not considering what does your audience want? But the second mistake is then providing way too much content. So I see this a lot with presenters and it's natural because we're, we're experts in our, whatever it is that we do. So naturally our presentations are related to what it is that we do. So we feel like we want to brain dump everything we know on our topic We've learned for the last 5, 10, 20 years, and we think somehow we're going to impart all of that knowledge to our audience in 45 minutes or 60 (laughs) minutes, but it's not possible. You can't do it. So presenters either try to do a laundry list, like 20 things they want to cover in 45 minutes, and it's too much. The audience can't take it in, so they they try to cover way too many things, or they end up going way too way too deep on one particular thing where you only have 45 minutes to do it. There's a you have to strike a balance between that. You really need structure to do this effectively and you and back to what is in it for your audience? What's their goal? How can you help them achieve their goal? What's manageable for them to learn and then more importantly that they can take and apply right away within 45 minutes or within 60 minutes or however long that you have. What what's manageable for them to actually take away. And that's where it's helpful to have someone else take a look at your presentation because we're so close to our content. We know so much about our topic that sometimes we don't understand either that we're not giving them enough introductory level foundational content or if it's an advanced audience, we need to kind of skip over that and give them the more advanced content. So that's why it's helpful to have someone whether it's someone, a colleague at work or someone else in your business, or even a speaking coach like myself to help you fine tune that content.
1: I love that because that's, that's really going back full circle to why people are motivational speakers to begin with is it's how it's, how can you best serve your audience? And that's making sure that your content is really all about them and, and very less about you.
0: Yes, exactly. And for motivational speakers, so you generally they have a very inspiring story that they're sharing, which kind of is the core of their message. But if they spend an entire hour just talking about themselves, the audience would quickly start to tune out because they want to know, okay, well, I, I appreciate your story, but how can I apply this to me? That's why the best motivational speakers take their story and it was, which is very personal to them, but then they universalize it. They say, okay, how can how can I apply this story to more people?
1: Right. The be- I think one of the best things I ever heard was, what is the quote where they say, um, people won't remember you for what you've given them or what you said, but how you made them feel.
0: Yes, that was Maya Angelou who said yes. that. I love that quote.
1: Yes. And so that just makes me think about, like you can tell someone a story and they heard it and it might be thought provoking and they might remember it. But if you tell a quick story and then give someone something applicable that they can walk away with and it made them feel like they could make a change, they'll never forget that.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Exactly. Mm, mm, Good point. Good point. All right. So for people that do want to become motivational speakers and then want to transition into actually getting paid to speak, I mean, I'll throw myself under the bus. I've done a TEDx talk. I love my podcast. I would love to go to women's events and empower other women and share a powerful message. But it costs, you know, travel and how, what would your advice be for those women that want to transition into being paid to speak? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, this is a great question, Jess. And I get this quite a bit. And I have some podcast episodes on, on this as well. So for the listeners out there, obviously speaking and presentations is, there's a lot to cover on that. So if you are interested, my podcast is called speaking your brand and I have a lot of content on there. That's really, that's good free content. So definitely check that out. But here's what I'll tell you about being paid to speak is that as if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, you can certainly do public uh, do speaking as an additional revenue stream for your business. So you can start with local groups, even regional or national associations and organizations. And most likely when you're starting out, you're going to start small. Maybe you'll get paid $500 or $1,000 and then you work your way up to $2,500, $5,000, travel included and so on. Just like anything in life, you have to start somewhere and then work your way up. If you've never been paid to speak, if you don't have already have a title and a platform, most organizations are not going to be paying you $10,000 or $20,000 to speak because what's in it for them, right? Kind of back to that. So here are a couple of ways, though, to get started and that have been successful for me and for some of my clients is that if you do have an organization that you know would be a good fit for your content. So whatever it is that you want to teach to train them on. You can do a 50-50 revenue split with them. So say you, you identify the organization, you start talking to them, and they already have members, which is great because then they have a built-in audience to advertise the workshop to. So then they can charge their members $100, $250, whatever it is that you agree on, and then do a 50-50 revenue split. So the organization promotes it to their members. A lot of time they'll provide the venue, the space for you to do the workshop at, and then you split what you make from that. So that's a great way to get started, to get paid to speak. The other thing is to look at industry associations and organizations. So if you're in a particular industry, most of them have different uh, organizations and associations related to that. So start checking those out and see if you can do any workshops and trainings for that. Now, as I mentioned before, if you don't already have a, a particular title, so if you haven't been an Olympic athlete or a CEO of a high profile company or something like that, you really what most of these organizations are going to be paying you for is your content, your training, not so much your status, like your motive, like being a motivational speaker. Right. So I would. So being a motivational speaker is an entirely different thing. I actually don't work with clients who want to do motivational speaking as their primary or sole source of revenue. My my clients are entrepreneurs who want to do public speaking really as a marketing channel and to get paid for it as well. But a lot of it's for marketing and lead generation. For motivational speakers, you have to have a really inspiring story and you have to be a really good performer. When you think about like Tony Robbins and some of them, like they give a performance. They have fine-tuned their act. And it's. I mean, I'm not saying that it's, an, it's not an act in the sense that it's not true, but it's an act that they give that they, it's almost like kind of being a, a preacher, <laughs> like the, like the no, television, preachers, right. right? Where it's a whole act. So in for motivational speakers, like you're on the speaking circuit. So you're speaking 150, 200, 250 days a year, you're traveling a lot. For some people, they love that lifestyle. That's what they want to do. But for most of the, or I would say all the clients that I work with, They're women. A lot of them are moms. They have children. They have families. The last thing they want to do is be traveling 200 and 250 days a year. So really think about if, if, is that the best fit for your goals and for the lifestyle that you want?
1: Wow. I love that. I love that. And now that really speaks to speaking your brand because it just, I'll talk to a lot of clients that will say that it's, you know, I just want to, I want to speak to women. I want to empower women. And it's not that that's not a possibility, but it is important to start with your brand first and then use speaking as a channel to advertise and and share your message. I love that. It makes so much sense.
0: Yes. Yeah. There aren't that many successful, like really successful, say six figure plus motivational speakers out there. It's a hard, it's a hard industry. It's a hard job too.
1: It is. It really, really is. Like I Like when you mentioned that, I have a friend that's in the, a former Olympian, and he's doing fantastic at motivational speaking. But like you said, I mean, there has to be a level of authority and celebrity almost there with a story to be a, a well-paid motivational speaker without um, a fantastic brand.
0: Right. Because if you think about it from the event organizer's point of view, if they're putting on a conference or they're putting on an event, they want that event to be profitable or at least break even (laughs) initially. And so what do they need? They need ticket sales and they need sponsors. If you're not a well-known entity or you don't have a title that people immediately understand, like people hear Olympic gold medalists and they understand who that person is, even if they don't necessarily recognize the name. If you don't have that, then from the event organizers point of view, how are you going to help them sell tickets?
1: Right. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So that's why I said as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, though, you can definitely go to these local groups, these regional national associations, organizations, partner with them and do some workshops and training for their members. That's one of the best ways to get paid to speak.
1: Absolutely. No, that makes, that's, yes. Because I have, I've seen several, um, several speakers when, as far as like female entrepreneur associations, um, local associations in Tampa, I've met some phenomenal speakers. So you're right, that's a good place to start. I didn't even think about that. So now that I'm thinking Along the lines of branding and people that are start really, I feel like we're really going into the era of people branding themselves. Do you have any advice about those that are starting um, entry level into branding themselves and their brand, like themselves being their brand?
0: Jess, yeah, so are these for people who are starting a business, or are these for people who are also professionals in their careers working for a company?
1: So not, I wouldn't say a company. So I'll give you an example. I have a friend that is a fantastic photographer and has been a fantastic photographer for years. And so instead of starting a photography company, he's being told um, to brand himself as the photography company, just his name and his brand is, do you think that's the direction that we should be going in? Doesn't it kind of seem like that's where everybody's going is it's more about their name and branding yourself than it is creating a business and a company?
0: Yeah. So where they, they really go hand in hand. So for example, so I have my name and my personal brand, Carol Cox, but I also have my company Speaking Your Brand. Because I'm the founder of the company, I am the voice and the face of the brand and of the company, at least for right now, as the founder and as the, the CEO of a very small company. So not like it's big, but you know, CEO of one,
1: right? Right, right. plus <laughs> a, a couple somewhere.
0: of assistants, right? Yep. But the reason that I think a lot of people are going the personal brand route when even when they're starting companies is because if you think about it, when we want to buy something, we're really buying from another person. Not from we don't we don't really like to buy from a nameless, faceless brand, especially for more intimate personalized services. So if you think about coaching, consulting, photography, even things like graphic design, web design, videography, anything where you're gonna you as the customer are gonna be interacting with a specific person at that company, you really wanna know that person. You wanna know are what is their work ethic? Who else have they worked with who can recommend them? What are their values? How are they gonna end up what is the quality of their work? How are they gonna end up producing it? Do I align with the way that they work? You're going to want to know those things. It's much easier as a person to convey those things to potential customers than it is for just uh, a, a company, a company name to convey that.
1: Wow. No, you're so right. That's, that's wow. <laughs> um, so tell me one thing that would make any speaker better right now, anyone that's trying to up up their delivery on their podcast or up their engagement with an audience? What would, what's one thing that would make anyone better?
0: Okay. So I have a, this is something that is absolutely golden. My clients use this and they rave about the results. They are just, they're blown away and I'm like, mm-hmm, see, I told you. So here's, <laughs> and it's, it's going to seem, and it's actually not related to your delivery, It's not related to your performance. It's not even related to the content itself of the presentation. Of course, all of those things being very important. It's using a feedback form. And Jess, when you attended my session at PodFest, I handed out feedback forms. You turned one in.
1: And here's the
0: reason why this feedback form is so gold. What it is is that you, you hand it out to the audience and then you collect it at the end. And it asks for the person's name and email address. And then they fill in what they learned from the presentation. So what they learned and what they're gonna apply. And then one thing that they wish the presentation had covered or could have made the presentation better. So that's the first half of the form. And the beauty of that is that you're now getting their own words. So you can now use that language when you're talking to prospective clients or putting it on your website copy because those are the words your potential clients are using. So you're getting and then, of course, you're getting information about, well, what was the thing that most people took out of the presentation? So that's useful information for you. And that will make you a better speaker for sure. The bottom of the form are checkboxes that people can fill out. This is the lead generation part. If they're interested in working with you, purchasing your product or service, being on your podcast, you can you indicate I recommend three or four different checkboxes signing up for your email list and so on. So that's gonna make you a better speaker as well because you're gonna get a better return on your investment, your ROI. Jess, you mentioned earlier that speaking is great. There are so many benefits to it, but it does take time and effort and sometimes money you have to travel. So I really wanna make sure that my clients and the people listening get an ROI from the speaking that they're doing. So having this feedback form is so important. And for your, your listeners, I have a free PDF that I'm happy to share with them that has a sample feedback form on it that they can use. So they can, they can download it and then kind of recreate it and customize it and use it. So the link to that will be at speakingyourbrand.com slash stranded. So the name of your podcast, speakingyourbrand.com slash stranded. And they can download that there.
1: Wow, thank you so much. And I I did not expect that, but I'm so glad you said that because don't we always fall short on the feedback.
0: Yes, and then when you, especially when you speak at conferences, a lot of times the conferences will do surveys after the event, Mm
1: -hmm. but they
0: never share that with the speakers. I've never gotten the survey results shared with me as a speaker, and plus, in any of you do, it probably takes months before you even get it, so I want the feedback right away, and I want the lead generation right away.
1: Right, but I love the point, yeah, to get, you know, absolutely, to get into your lead, get to your leads, but I love the point. I didn't even think about the fact that you said what they're writing is the same type of verbiage you need to be using in your messaging because now you're speaking directly from your audience in the way in which they need to hear it.
0: Yes, exactly. So maybe you're using the word, let's see, the graphic illustrations. Like maybe you're a graphic designer and you do illustrations. sure, so you're saying graphic illustrations, but what, what they write down is sketches. Like in their mind, they think of it as sketches. So right. you either try to educate the audience that it's illustrations, even though your audience or clients think they're, they're called sketches. But if you change your wording to sketches, then potential clients who are reading your website or your social media posts are like, oh, yes, that's what I
1: want. Exactly, because, and it's so funny because some of this stuff is so cross, like cross sectional or cross, it's all across the board because what I've learned a lot in in sales and in nonprofits is we, we get really, you said it earlier, being too close to your message. We get really caught up in our own jargon. And we forget that people just starting out or people that want to learn from us may not be using that same jargon. They may not be catching on to what you're teaching simply because of the words you choose to use.
0: Yes, exactly. I
1: love it. That makes so much sense. All right. So for the era, I feel like just the era of starting your brand on social media, starting a Facebook group, um, getting vulnerable on Instagram, starting a podcast, people that are new and trying to start their business on social media how can they use the art of speaking as a tool for their business on social media
0: well video is huge so you you know youtube is the second largest search engine after just regular google facebook live videos are really popular because facebook prioritizes them in the news feed so if you do a facebook live video more people will tend to see it instagram now has not only they're the short videos that you can do, but they now have IGTV. So people enjoy watching videos. So if you, the better you get at public speaking and not just the articulation of your words, but sharing stories, understanding what it, it is that your audience wants, how you can help them achieve that, what are the obstacles getting in their way. So the more that you understand that, then the better you'll be able to convey that in social media, primarily on videos, but even in written posts as well.
1: Do you feel like we're getting more and more informal? Like the, uh, I remember growing up and doing spub, uh, public speaking classes and they would count the ums and the uhs. Do you think that that matters less and less now? Or it's still important to be very polished when you're speaking?
0: So my answer is be polished when it comes to that. (laughs) Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have like this big production studio where you have this gorgeous background and you have perfect lighting and perfect audio. So not, not as far as that being polished. But the ums and the ahs matter a lot. A few of them here and there are totally acceptable and completely fine. But if listeners go back and listen to this episode, they will hear maybe two or three ahs. In, in there and that's probably it
1: oh here's I know the, I've been paying right. attention I'm like she's good <laughs> and here and you
0: have to train yourself here's the best way is that you have to be intentional and conscious about the words coming out of your mouth and instead of saying um or ah which what you really need to do is pause Right. the um and the ah have become crutch words because we're afraid of silence so we use them as bridges in between sentences or in between paragraphs or thoughts instead of just pausing. So the more conscious you are of the words that you're saying, the less likely you will say it. And one of the best ways to know if you're saying it is go be a guest on someone's podcast and have them ask you questions. And then you'll know how often you say, um, I have had podcast guests, only a couple who have used, who have said, um, so many times that it was so distracting listening to it that I personally edited out almost every single um. (laughs) Because I couldn't listen to it and I didn't want to put that on to the listeners because they wouldn't have enjoyed listening. It was so distracting. Now, you know, for other ones where it's just a few ums here and there, I leave it in, that's fine. But the fewer that you can say, the better.
1: And we just do it because we can't deal with the silence fear rules everything doesn't it
0: yes it's and it's so ingrained in us and we you, we really have to be so intentional about rewiring what we're doing
1: that that goes for everything i love that you said that that goes for everything it's all about rewiring and perspective and retraining your brain because you're absolutely right we we replace the pause with an um simply because of fear Yes. And, and just in and habit. It's yeah. habit
0: for us. We get so used to doing it. And so have also tell your tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your family members, tell your close friends. Tell me if I'm saying um or ah or other crutch words too much. Point it out to me. And I promise I won't get mad at you when you do it. But point it out to me because that's the way you're going to learn.
1: The next six months, Carol, I promise you're going to you're gonna hear one of my podcasts and go, wow, she's really been practicing because I'm gonna go at it after this. I'm Just, really gonna be have intentional. Been fine. You're going to be totally fine. <laughs> I'm gonna really be intentional about not saying that word or phrase again. <laughs> well, let my you were amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that goodness. Tell my audience where they can stalk you and where they can get that amazing. Feedback example PDF again.
0: Yes. Yeah, so the best place to find me is through the podcast. So if you're already listening to Jess's podcast, just pop into your over you know, into your podcast app—Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Search for "Speaking Your Brand" and subscribe there, and start. You can scroll through and find the episodes that seem the most most resonant with what you're looking for right now. And then number two, go get that PDF again. It's at speakingyourbrand.com/slash stranded. And you can just get the free PDF there. And when you do that, you'll also be invited to join my free community, which is a private Facebook group. It is only for women. So women entrepreneurs and professionals who are interested in doing more public speaking, want to get into it or have been doing public speaking and want to get better at it. So I also invite your listeners to join me there.
1: This was awesome. Carol, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all these goodies and inspiring me to really polish my presenting. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jess. It's been great. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of The Stranded Podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded phase is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.